Welcome to The Passion Factor, pursuing a career in human rights in conjunction with Human Rights Pulse. In this podcast series, we interview human rights professionals with a story to tell about their career and calling in the human rights sector. I'm here with Nomi de los Angeles Perez Vas, a human rights expert in transitional justice, women's rights and access to justice. Nomi is Venezuelan and currently based in London. I think it's fair to say that Nomi has had an exceptionally interesting and varied career in the human rights field to date. She has over 11 years experience in the sector, in which time she has led human rights monitoring missions, advocacy campaigns, research projects, program evaluations and training activities. She has been fortunate enough to work for international organizations, including the UN, UNICEF, the UN Development Programme, and the UN High Commissioner for Refugees, as well as the not-for-profit and private sector. She has lived and worked in 10 countries, including South Sudan, DR Congo, Timor-Leste, Mexico, Brazil, and Norway, to name but a few. Naomi has degrees in law, international relations, and political science. She is currently completing her PhD in politics and international studies, at the School of Oriental and African Studies in London and is a visiting fellow at the European University Institute. She is regularly interviewed by the media as a subject matter expert and presents at academic conferences. I'm sure we'll hear more in detail about her interesting career, but for now, it's great to welcome you to The Passion Factor, pursuing a career in human rights. Thank you very much, Vicky, for the opportunity and the honour to be here with you. Thank you. So the, the first thing I wanted to ask you really was, what, where did it start? What, what motivated you to work in the human rights field? Um, I must say that when I was 21 years old, I was not sure what I wanted to do. I knew what I liked it, um, but I couldn't tell exactly uh, what kind of career I wanted for sure. So when um, at that moment I was in Venezuela and I did a bachelor in international studies, I knew I liked I liked the politics. I knew I liked um, I liked it, uh, uh, working with people and I liked also uh, studying languages. Uh, so. Before I must say that before I finished my university, I started sending my CVs to embassies and international organizations based in Venezuela. And one only from many, many emails that I sent, only one of them answered me, and it was the UNHCR. And they offered me the opportunity to start an internship with them. Okay, good um, place to start. Yes, it, it was love, but also something that I learned in my career was that it is important to have luck, but also the, the abilities in, in, in a specific moment. And I think that match in that precise, in that precise year. Um, and obviously, when I started working with refugees, uh, that was the start of my career. When I was doing interviews, when I was doing reports, when I was doing advocacy, it, it was a world that I discovered and that it fascinated me. Yeah. So, certainly, and that's where I cut my teeth doing human rights work was in the immigration and asylum field for six and a half years. So I, I can see where you're coming from. And it kind of brings me neatly on to, to asking you about sort of what has been your own career path today. I've just highlighted in the introduction there 
some of the fantastic things that you've done, but perhaps sharing more about your own career path, where it's gone, how it's taken you different places. Uh, yeah, so I started then. So the story of my career of my career is that I started doing this internship. And at that moment, uh, most of the refugees were coming from Colombia to Venezuela, I must say. Um, and then the office was small, and then they recommended me to do a consultancy uh, or to apply for a consultancy with UNICEF. And at that moment, as I said, I, I was still a student at the university. So I applied at UNICEF, uh, for this position at UNICEF, and I got the job. Uh, after, I started working with uh, children's rights in a um, shanty town in, in Venezuela. And then I heard the, that there was the opportunity to apply for a program called ISEC, that is for um, doing international uh, um, traineeship uh, in, in some organizations abroad. And there was the opportunity to work with the ABN AMRO Foundation and in Mexico City, and I applied for it and I got it. So that was the start of my international career. And I lived two years uh, in Mexico City. Um, then I did a master at LSE uh, in comparative politics. Then my supervisor at LSE recommended me to apply for a fellowship at the United Nations University in New York, which I got. Um, then, um, also because I had to combine with the personal life, my partner at that moment, um, who was, who was in, in, in Norway, um, I, I had the plan to, to be reunited with, with him. And I started checking the programs of the University of Oslo, and there was this fantastic uh, LLM in public international law. And I was uh, accepted, uh, given that in my, in my program in Venezuela, I had also studied uh, as part of my bachelor, I had studied law. Um, and I had worked with uh, refugee rights, etc., and children's rights in Venezuela. And then I went to, to Norway, and that was also my, I think it was my favorite uh, uh, degree, um, because I took an amazing, uh, uh, it, was an, it is an amazing program on, on international human, uh, humanitarian law, international human rights law, women's rights law with Anahelu. Um, um, and then um, I think life is it's always, taking you to, to places. And almost at the end of my LLM, uh, they recommended me to apply as part of a, of a program um, for a position as an assistant uh, to the UN Special Rapporteur on Human Rights Defenders at the OECHR in Geneva. I applied for it, and I got it. And that was a very um, challenging, uh, but um, intellectually very very important step in, in, in my life um, and then again I, I then wanted to go to, to the field I spent some time a year in, in Africa more specifically I was working with the uh, peacekeeping in South Sudan in the human rights uh, team and then I also headed uh, an access to justice program in the DRC in the South Kivu uh, with UNDP um, after uh, also i wanted to be uh, reunited with my with my with my partner um and i got a a, a job with unicef in brazil and i spent there uh, some years fantastic years of my life and 
because in my career I, I have always tried to combine uh, studies but also uh, professional experiences. So after the, my experience in, in Brazil, I wanted to come back to, to academia and then I applied for a PhD uh, at SOAS University of London. And what I have been studying for the last years is uh, women's access to transitional justice mechanisms. And now, as you said, I'm doing, finally, I'm doing a fellowship uh, with the European University Institute where I am writing an article and, and, and spending time and reflecting on the protection of reproductive rights in, in post-conflict justice. So you, you've really traveled all over the world and had lots of sort of really interesting and, and fantastic opportunities in terms of the human rights world. So you spoke quite a lot there about studying and, and the academic side and for people who are listening to this podcast who are thinking about pursuing a career in human rights the big question is should i go on and do an advanced degree in human rights or public international law or something like that will that help me get a job in the human rights sector and it's something i've thought about a lot but interesting to hear from you about that is it a, is it a help or a hindrance no, in my case, uh, I must say that before I started my PhD, I hesitated. Even before I started my second master, I hesitated because I had already a master. Mm. But I think when I did my first master, I must confess that maybe I was, I was too young uh, for doing that first master. And when I started the second master, I already knew what I liked it, and I already knew where I was heading to. Um, so for me, it was the LLM in public international law. It was very much, um, it helped me a lot to, to, to have a solid basis in my, in my work on, on, on human rights. And then with a PhD, because I also um, was not sure if I wanted to be uh, just studying theory uh, for four or five years, I actually, the way how I did my PhD contributes a lot to, to my professional career on, on the human rights. Something that I haven't mentioned is that um, as part of my PhD, I carry out field work in Timor-Leste, where I, I interview around 123 people and they help me to, to inform and, and, and to define the topic of my PhD. So, it is very much um, based on, 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 ex on, on practical experiences and today. And I think, with, for instance, with a PhD, I have now the, the, the opportunity, but also it's a privilege uh, of being an expert on, on a very specific uh, topic. And as I said, give me, I have the, I think now I have uh, in, my, in my presentation, I can talk about theory, but I also can talk um, uh, on, based on experience and, 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 and practical uh, experiences of, of people. But I also want to say that um, because during the PhD, I was um, uh, a teaching assistant for several master courses um, at SOAS University of London. One was in, in, in African politics, and another course was on, on conflict and justice and the politics of memory. And I could see, uh, because I had to, to check, for instance, and, and to revise their uh, essays, and I could really see uh, a progress in the way how I can reach and also I can 
structure um, an essay and how I can analyze uh, an essay. I, I had I'm more much more confident and today, and I have a much more solid basis than what I used to have before my PhD and even before my masters. Mm -hmm. So. Would you say that the kind of skills that you acquire doing the master's degree w will set you up, set you up for um, a career in human rights, given the skill set that you build when you're doing your master's degree, those kind of forensic skills, those analytical skills, those writing skills and things like that, they are a, a good addition? Um, uh, definitely. And um, for instance, and as I said, I did two masters, one in politics and another one in, in public international law. And I think I can navigate both fields uh, quite well. And I can understand now how a lawyer will think about facts, the law, and the analysis of, 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 of the law based on the facts, while a political scientist will search more for what is the main argument and then how you construct based on the main arguments and the points and the challenges and the conclusion. Because believe it or not, people can have very different frameworks in, in their mind and how they approach to things. So, I think the more you study and the more you read, you can also identify these uh, uh, frameworks that we uh, we are being taught uh, according to specific disciplines. Um, and in a more practical level, for instance, I think by studying public international law, I acquire much a better knowledge of, for instance, of the international uh, 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 conventions of. Uh, of uh, public of human rights law, uh, so I can talk about ICCPR. I can talk about the International Convention on Economic and Social Cultural Rights, uh, CRC, CEDAW Convention, um, and I think human rights work is um, is a very you have the two levels. You have the level of uh, international standards and international treaties. But also when you put that into practice and when you think about human rights from a policy making perspective, it is also how do you combine the two the two worlds? It's something fascinating that fascinates me. Yeah, no, definitely. I would I would certainly support that. Being a lawyer myself, unfortunately we think in legal frameworks probably too much, and that's how, where we come from. That's always our starting point, what the kind of norms and standards are, and that, that's where we, we start. But turning a little bit to, to your the life of, of a human rights professional there and again sort of the audience that, that this podcast is for for those people who are thinking about a career there and I suppose what skills and qualities do you think are, are useful helpful to, to have um, as, a, as a human rights professional and I say that given the fact that you've been in some very kind of challenging environments but also been in in London and, and other and other cities so so I would say um I think it's, it's important to have a basis on, on the topic uh, uh, of uh, human rights that you want to focus on. So if you like to work on, on women's rights, then become an expert on CEDO convention or become an expert on the, gen, uh, on the general recommendations of the committee, uh, for instance. Um, the same if you want to work with children's rights or refugee rights, it is important to have a, a good knowledge uh, of uh, the international uh, uh, treaties and standards uh, regarding uh, these groups. But also I will say that working in the human rights field, it is important to, to speak several languages. That's my experience. Um, 
because it allows you to have more flexibility uh, wherever you want to go. Uh, so to learn uh, a good language or, or, or a language that is uh, broadly spoken, I think that is a, a big uh, plus in, in this career, for instance, French or Spanish or Portuguese, uh, etc. Um, and I think um, it is it is important then to 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 be flexible, and I would say to combine the experiences of the of headquarters or, or big cities as we are now in London, but also to have practical experience uh, in the field. Um, so uh, in my experience, in my career, for instance, I managed to to have experience in Latin America, but also in Africa and also in Asia. And I think, um, if I may say, for instance, especially for us, for, for women, once I heard this advice and I thought, no, I didn't like that advice. But then it, it ended to be true. And, and it is that the younger we are, for us, for women, the better we go to the field. The sooner is, the better is that the sooner we go to the field. Mm -hmm. uh, because life, the more we, uh, years pass by, gets more complicated. Uh, um, so if I have a daughter, if I had a daughter, I would tell her go to the field the, the, uh, as soon as you can. I would tell her. Yeah, no, no, definitely. I had the same thing. I went quite early on, and it was the advice I was given. If you want to kind of um, advance in the human rights world, that you should get some field experience. So I went out, um, and I was in Kosovo for for my field experience. Um, so, and I'm asking this of, of all the interviewees. You've had such a rich career and done so many things. What what has been the highlight, or maybe highlights, of your career to date? <laughs> so I will say, I think I always try to learn something, or, or all my experiences taught me something. Uh, the same with my bosses. All my I always try to learn something special about my different uh, bosses in, along my career. If I had to choose, I, I would choose three. I will. I think when I was uh, uh, working for the Special Rapporteur on Human Rights Defenders, I was I was quite young. I was twenty seven years old when I was doing that, that job, and I was doing. Uh, um, I was dra drafting, for instance, reports for for the Human Rights Council and the, and the General Assembly and organizing field missions uh, with her, with the Special Rapporteur. So. That was a very challenging uh, experience uh, for me, and I learned a lot. Uh, but also, I will say that uh, the experience, particularly the experience that I had in South Sudan, monitoring the human rights situation, visiting uh, prisons, and organizing field um, missions within South Sudan, we, uh, along, um, I, for instance, I can tell you experiences of being of me being the only woman among 50 men and I was leading missions uh, to uh, to interview victims I mean that was something when I when I think about it I it was something unbelievable you know not only because obviously the 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 contribution that you can and the impact that you can have on, on people which is the main goal but also as a professional um at the same time, it's something that is so fulfilling, and it gives you so much. Um, uh, it, you are knowing uh, that the contribution that you are doing to the people can also be so, so, so fulfilling. Um, and I would say also that the other highlight is, I must say, that is my PhD, because as I said, I think it gave me a lot of confidence 
um, the way how I read today, the way how I write, the way how I present academic materials among, among scholars. So, um, and today I think um, I, I, I have that freedom to, to talk to several um, audiences in a more uh, confident way. Those um, eminent, eminently sort of good highlights in terms of your career. Is there anything that you would have done differently? Yes. <laughs> Let's hear. <laughs> I, I would, for instance, because when I was in South Sudan, I, do, I was a UMB and I was offered this position as a petri in Congo. Uh, and at that moment, I evaluated. Oh no, maybe I should go for for because for the tree because it was a better position within the UN system. But to be honest, I I wish I could have stayed longer in the experience in South Sudan because at that moment I I, I felt that I could continue learning a lot. Especially I had a fantastic boss that I think was one of the best that I ever had and she was very much um, putting an effort on, on, on me learning all the skills of uh, human rights monitoring, human rights uh, interviewing, leading missions and I remember that even the fact that um, she was even, she was always insisting me on driving the big UN cars along the where we, we were in the compound or in the missions because for her, she told me once that how that was an example of, of, of a short woman as me, you know, driving a big car. That was a very empowering. Uh, yeah. for, for that was brave of you as well. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I wish I could have, for instance, say, and I think for me, the lesson is that then I, the lesson for me was that it doesn't matter what life comes with big positions or, 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 or you know, on ranks or, or salary, but I think it is very important uh, that we stay in the same position if you are still learning, and especially if you have a boss that is very, is very much investing on, on you. I think that was my, my big lesson. That's really interesting because the human rights world can often be quite transient in terms of positions. You know, you're moving from one place to the next quite a lot. So it's really interesting to hear that you're saying sort of stay, stay put where you are if, it, if it's bringing you something and you're kind of increasing your knowledge, learning experience. Yes, and I think because sometimes uh, I have friends that are, oh, should I do a UMB or should I do an internship? And I think, yes, go for it. Because it doesn't matter the, the, the rank or it doesn't matter the, 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 the salary in that moment. But if it is a position that you are learning a lot as a, as a professional, but also as an individual. I think that will cover many of the of the issues and also will help you to to, to make a, a transition maybe later um, uh, in a more solid uh, in a more solid way. Yeah. No, I mean I I also sort of took the UNV route as well when I went to Kosovo. That was how I got out out there, and it, it was a great experience in that respect, just being out in the field and and, and learning. Um, about that, that part of the world. You've kind of also alluded to it in your previous answers there, but the, the flip side of the human rights world and the challenges of working in this world and, and challenges both, you know, professionally, personally, we hear a lot about issues around self-care and things for, for um, human rights professionals, but what would you say are the big challenges and, and indeed, how do we deal with them? How do we address them in a, in a meaningful way? Or? 
Um, I think the big challenges um, are that, well, you have many challenges, no? Uh, I think one is the, the moving around, for instance, because um, since this is a career that um, values uh, international experience and, and it is well seen to have experience in, experiences in the field and, and, and moving from one continent to another continent, I think one challenge is uh, obviously to, to have a solid route maybe in, in, in a specific country. And I think this is something that uh, we need to be aware of and, 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 and to make the, but the important is to make the, the decision on, on, on this. I also will say that um, um, it can be also a, a, an environment. Um, I have experience with NGOs, but also with, with United Nations, but also it can be inside of this organization, you have a lot of uh, patriarchism uh, within the organization. So I think it is important to, to, to be aware uh, that us, as, especially us as woman and young woman sometimes we have we may have colleagues that um, may not appreciate or, or ideas or based on or stereotypes this is something that we need continuously to 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 fight for it i remember i can tell you a funny story we have the time but i remember when i was in south sudan um, I arrived in the base with a japanese uh, friend and with the two of us we did the driving test and I passed the driving test, he didn't pass the driving test. So the following day, we were moved to, ben, to Bentiu, where we were located. And there was this colleague that came to, we were still talking, and there was this colleague that approached us. And he told us that the next day we were going to go in an internal mission in Norwegian. And he asked my colleague, my Japanese, the Japanese man, oh, do you, do you get your driving license so we don't assign you a driver? And the Japanese said, no, I didn't pass the test. And I told him, and I told the colleagues that, don't worry, I passed the test, so I can drive myself. Mm -hmm. Next day, I had a driver in my car. And I, when I asked, why do I have a driver in my car? The colleague said, because you don't know the way. There we go. These are, are things, but, but these are things for, for young professionals to, to know, and, and certainly young women who are looking to, to work in human rights sex to be aware of at an early an early stage of their career, I think, because they will come across this and there might be sort of bumps along along the way. And it's how we manage and how we address that, absolutely. And, and it's important to, to, to realize about these issues and, and to fight, because this is, I think this is a constant fight uh, mm -hmm. against all these stereotyping against uh, us uh, women, and also to, to support each other uh, in this uh, very, uh, it is male oriented uh, conceptions of, of work and, and, and professional yeah. life. And, and taking that point about support, um, something that when I give advice to, to young professionals looking to break into human rights, I talk very much about the idea of a mentor or an advisor, somebody that they can turn to who's got a little bit more experience down the road there. What, what do you sort of think about that sort of mentorship um, piece for young professionals? I think that's one yourself. <laughs> that, and that's very important. I always ask people for their advice. Um, and I think, as I said, I always take good points of the different bosses that I have. I can tell you, I had a boss in, in Brazil, and I think what I admire 
I admire the most from him was how calm he was and how he could see the big picture. I had this fantastic boss that I mentioned already. Her name is Benedetta in South Sudan. And for me, what I what it impressed me the most was her commitment. Um, the same with my uh, uh, the boss of the the head of the governance in at the UNDP in the DRC. Uh, she has also been a mentor uh, for me. Now, because I am transitioning between, uh, for instance, the uh, PhD life to to a professional life consultancy or working for a, for an organization after after my fellowship. I am in several processes, for instance, and my mentor, who is my supervisor, um, she's very much uh, engaged and she has discussed all the possible um, options that I have. And, and we discuss it together and, she, and for me, it's important to receive advice and to see the points of view of, of different people. So I think in my professional career, every time that I have to make a decision, I consult people and I consult people that I know that they will give me a good advice. It doesn't mean that I will take that, but I take their opinions. Uh, Absolutely, and I think we can have different mentors for different parts of our lives. For those, you know, if it's a confidence issue, if it's more a sort of career kind of pivot issue, where do I go next kind of thing. So I think different different mentors, advisors can can give us different things or, or advise us on different things. So we can have a kind of um, a group, a group of them. Um, sort of moving a, a little bit away from, from that, that mentorship thing to, to more about diving into the human rights world and, and this whole issue around networking. And we know that networking is so important now in so many sectors. And I think it's very applicable for the human rights sector as well. What, what, what do you sort of say about that or think about that? Networking is very important. I remember when I was uh, working at the United Nations University in New York, we had several, as part of the program, we had several presentations. And one of them was the head of human resources of uh, UNDP. And he said to us something like, you should put your pen down and get a glass of wine. And saying about basically what he was saying, how networking was so important. And this was the head of uh, the human uh, resources. And I, I think uh, in my career, as I said before in the introduction or in the beginning, many of the positions that I had, it was because somebody sent it to me or because um, I heard and, and, and the person suggested me to apply for something from my, even from my consultancy work from UNICEF or the UNU position. Uh, they all came because I was somehow uh, uh, connected uh, to somebody that knew about this position. I think in terms of networking, um, I must say that during the PhD, I also did many courses. Uh, I did courses, um, the courses that I wanted to do always and that I never found the time. In a way to do them, but also to keep a, a, a foot in the professional side and to do networking with people in, in the specific fields. For instance, I did a course in public international law at the Hague which is three weeks. And I also did uh, a course in the Institute of Human Rights in Estrasburg um, on children's rights. I also did a course on the, with the, in, um, the Institute of uh, International Criminal Investigations uh, in The Hague, for instance. So these courses, they allow me also to, to obviously to, 
improve my, my knowledge about uh, certain uh, issues on, on, on human rights, but also to, to, to make wonderful uh, friends and, and, and colleagues. And if I wanted to share, if I want to share, if I cannot share a story, for instance, before I went to Timor Leste, I really wanted to have uh, the opportunity to, to get a consultancy job in Timor Leste to have also some, some money when, when I was there because I was going to go as a field, as a PhD field researcher. And because I, I went to this conference at LSE on the Women, Peace and Security agenda. And I started talking to this uh, Colombian lady, and obviously she is from Colombia, I am from Venezuela. We started talking about politics, right, and, and about issues in the region. And when I was about to leave the, the meeting, uh, or the networking, the cocktail, because after the sessions of Women, Peace and Security uh, agenda, there was a cocktail. And when I was going to leave the, the cocktail, the Colombian lady came to me and she told me, Noemi, uh, there was somebody that just mentioned to me that you are going to go to Timor. And I said, yes, because, they go, because we didn't have any connection to Timor. She as a Colombian and me as a Venezuelan. And she told me, I am actually starting a new job on Monday uh, at the International Bar Association Human Rights Institute. And I am supervising a position in Timor-Leste. Wow. So, <laughs> a lot of it is being in the right place at the right time as well, right? And uh, but that's a fantastic story. Yes. And, the, and I ended uh, supporting them when yeah. I was in Timor. Yeah. I'm again sort of totally agreement with you there that when, when I sort of give the talks to students um, and young professionals is networking is key and, and being visible and going out to kind of talks and lectures and being in the right places and you never know who those people know and it's like a domino effect right you know sort of somebody might think of something so I think there's a lot of value in, in building up those networking skills as as counterintuitive as it might feel sometimes to do it yeah. yes totally I agree, totally agree. Um, so I suppose kind of round rounding this up um, what, what is the really the, the best piece of advice, or maybe more than one piece of advice that you can give to somebody who's thinking about starting out in the, in the human rights world? What, what would you say to them? Well, I have several pieces of advice. One is build your uh, theory and academic skills, uh, especially because human rights, the human rights field is quite technical. Um, it's good to know about, uh, about the law, treaties, conventions, standards, etc but also go to the field. And the sooner, the better. Um, I would say don't go for, for internships in, in headquarters, or, but no, I, I would recommend more like go as a UMB or uh, to the field uh, straight away. And I think I will insist on learning languages because they will, this will open you doors and you will become much more flexible and uh, in, in your applications, in your future applications and, and this will open you many more opportunities and be humble and kind. And as we said, we were saying, we never know who we are meeting and be kind, be humble and listen to people that are around you and learn about their experiences and take the best of people. I would say that's my advice. Thank you. And I think that's a really kind of positive note to, to end on. But thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us um, today. Thank you very much, Vicky. Thanks for listening to The Passion Factor, Pursuing a Career in Human Rights. If you like what you've heard, please feel free to follow us on Human Rights Pulse, 
on Twitter at PulseHuman or Instagram on Human Rights Pulse. If you'd like to know more about me, Vicky Praise, feel free to follow me on Twitter at Vicky Praise, on LinkedIn or my website, vickypraise.com. I'm always looking for interesting guests with a story to tell about their own human rights journey. If that's you, please get in touch. I'd love to hear from you.